0: Please turn with me to Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter Chapter three. Second Peter Chapter Three. Right in the middle of verse ten. Second Peter chapter three. Right in the middle of verse ten. I remind you this is God's holy Inerrant and infallible word, daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge will in the destruction of these creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. For he received a rebuke for his own transgression, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man restrained the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm for whom the black darkness has been reserved. For speaking out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error. Promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Let's pray. Oh, our Lord God, we pray that You would grant us understanding in Your Word. We pray that You would lead us to everlasting and eternal sig- internally significant insight we pray that you would lead us in the truth holy spirit of god in jesus name amen yesterday our church a uh, number of our people were uh, a number of you were able to stand and bear witness for jesus and our community in one part of our community over in long meadow at the long meadow fall day festival and While we were there, an individual came up to us from a booth, only two booths down, and she was determined to, uh, I'm not sure what she was after, I think she was just trying to, in her own mind, assert the difference between herself and us, and perhaps to chide us about her own greater understanding of the Word of God, Uh, and to look down her nose at us for a moment about our uh, maybe rudimentary view of taking the Bible literally. And she asked a number of questions, a number of relevant cultural questions. Uh, Not anything about, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you love the Word of God? Do you believe in in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe He's coming again? Have you believed unto everlasting salvation? None of that. Not a word of it. Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Do you believe in the inspiration of the Scriptures? She didn't ask anything about that. In fact, all she really did say was, "Look, we believe in the Bible." After I questioned her claim, and I said, "I don't think then, then you don't believe in the Bible," and she said, "Oh, we we believe in the Bible. We just don't take it literally." (laughs) Well, that's a nice way of saying it. But if you don't believe in the literal nature of Scripture, you don't believe any of it. It's not faith in the Word of God, then, is it? What parts do you not believe are literal? That Jesus Christ became flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, and then was, died, was laid upon the cross, he willingly went to the cross, died, and was given, uh, him, gave himself as an atonement for sin, and then was buried, and, and then was raised. Do you not take that literally? Do you not take literal the fact that there is a God? Do you not take literal the the idea of God revealing Himself in the burning bush to Moses? Or that God spoke through David and created the Psalms? And and all those who wrote the Psalms and and sang and prayed and and laid out for us a book for us to sing and to read, to be ministered to in our soul. Do they not believe in a literal Paul, a historical man who was arrested on the road by the glory of the risen Christ do they not believe in the literal Judas who for a few bits of silver gave up the Lord and abandoned him well this person later on she had some people with her I I think they were I want to say that they were christians from another land who were there as refugees from or being sponsored by their church maybe muslims i'm uncertain but later this woman wanted to come back and get uh, one of her charges wanted to get uh, a small booklet just just a little book for a coloring book for her for her little brother and this woman wrote, chided her from the from the beginning of her booth all the way over to our booth telling her you don't want this you don't want this A simple coloring book that displayed pictures of biblical stories and had small pieces of scripture. That's it. No strings attached. What is that? What do you call a person like that? Peter has called them many things this week. The truth is that that simple instance yesterday at the Longmeadow Fall Festival, simply showed me that there are many false falsely professing people in our world people who have a veneer of religiosity they seem like they're religious in general but they're not in the way in which at least true religion of the in the christian soul displays itself in scripture they are not followers of god they do not believe in the lord jesus christ they have no interest in the word of god they're not hoping in christ They love the world, and they love the things of the world. And yet they hold themselves out as authoritative experts of the things which God, through them, would say to you. There are dangers in our world, aren't there, but from false teachers, there are many dangers. And last week we did open up a portion of this scripture, and we spoke about a description of false teachers. Peter is writing to Christians who live in modern-day Southwest and South Turkey. Uh, they are those believers who are in, uh, 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 as he identifies them in chapter 1 of First Peter, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and they are chosen of God. They have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been saved by grace through faith. And they're being persecuted for their faith. And there are even some people coming into the church who have the veneer of religiosity. They can tell you what the gospel of Jesus Christ is, but they don't know the gospel. Because they haven't believed the gospel. There's one thing about saying, yes, Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. He came to earth and, and he lived a perfect life. And then he was killed. Uh, He was he was crucified on a cross. He died, was buried and he rose again and he went to heaven. It's one thing to say that these are historical facts, but it's an altogether different thing to say. I believe in them with all my heart and I have found salvation in the truths which they convey that I myself am a sinner, but I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see the difference? There's an extraordinary difference in these things. Well, <clears throat> these false teachers are it seemingly in the church. And some of them are, are living in a certain way uh, that, that is undermining the faith of some. And uh, here is, uh, at the very least, uh, we, 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 we dwelt last week on their description Peter characterizes them as arrogant, just to review very briefly. Uh, they, they give in to their sensuality. They're, they're guilty of godless behavior. Uh, Peter calls them dry wells, which, which disappoint the thirsty. Hazy mists, which are blown away without relieving the heat of the atmosphere. Uh, these are people who are blots and blemishes. Uh, they don't know anything about which they are speaking. They are accursed children. They are waterless springs. They are slaves of corruption. An extraordinary series of statements. Not any names which I am calling these people, but names by which the Holy Spirit has revealed through Peter, false teachers really are. Well, we come back to this passage this morning, and I want you to see, firstly, the intended goal of false teachers. The intended goal of false teachers... Now, it's important for us to understand how important it is for us to take in that there are false teachers in the world, that there are false teachers that that we will encounter. We will. You'll either hear them on television or on the radio, or you'll see them in person when you go into churches where you think the Word of God still is, or where people say, yes, we are a church faithful to Jesus Christ. It blows my mind that the woman who said those things to us yesterday hails from a united church of Christ. She doesn't believe in the church. She doesn't believe in the word. And she certainly does not believe in Jesus Christ. So, dear friends, Peter is writing to the church and he's saying, I'm concerned that your faith might be undermined. I'm concerned about the truth I'm concerned for you, concerning the, your progress in the Christian faith. I'm concerned for your faith in its infancy. He's writing to relatively new believers who are obscured from uh, the church that is central in, in Jerusalem. <clears throat> well, what is the intended goal of these false teachers? More than anything else, they want to do something extraordinary. They want to obfuscate your vision. That's a big legal word. It simply means they want to cloud your vision. They want you to lose sight of what you're actually, by faith, looking at. By faith, we look at Jesus, right? By faith, we believe in Jesus. By faith, we can see Christ on the cross dying for our sins. We can see this. By faith, we can behold things in heaven... That God exists there. That the glorious created beings in heaven proclaim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. By faith we understand that we were created in the image of God. Faith teaches us all these things. But false teachers would obscure those things. They're mists driven. Do do you know what it's like to be out on a road early, early in the morning or late, late in the evening? And there you are, you are, you're driving, you're concerned for your safety, and you, you come down into a little dip or a little valley, and there is a mist across the road. Can you still see the road? Maybe just a little, but sometimes the road might disappear, and you worry about what's in front of you. I remember driving through Virginia. There are some famous places in Virginia where mists will spring, spring up in the early morning hours and you can't see very much in front of you unless you have a vehicle that's very, very close to you. And if you came through that mist uh, upon an accident, you, there would be no time to stop. We hear about pileups in such places often and where people some hundreds of people will pile up their cars one on top of another. People simply can't see in the fog. There's an accident and as you're coming around the corner at 55, 65, 70 miles an hour perhaps more, you can't stop in time. And so that's what it's like. What, what we're talking about here is what, what Peter is talking about here is that there are false teachers, and what they're doing is, if, if you go, if you follow them in life, your way through life, your path as a Christian will become clouded. There will be a mist that will obscure certain things that you need to know about. Dangers that you need to be aware of. Paths of truth that you need to follow. And their desire is to obscure your direction. They want to blind the way ahead so that you cannot see. They are leading you, mark my words, they are leading you away from Jesus Christ. False teachers do not help you. They lead you away from Jesus Christ. They obscure the way to Jesus. They do not help you. There are men in gospel ministry who who I I have appreciated their ministry. And when they share the gospel, it's a delight to my soul. But I'll tell you, when they begin to teach their modalism or various other means of heresies, they begin to cloud the gospel that they purport to love. And they throw up a mist before the gospel. My dear friends, if you are following a false teacher and you know that there are troubling areas in their theology or they are untrained and you're concerned about some of the things that they've said, they are obscuring the Lord Jesus Christ. They are they have put up a mist before you. What else are you not? What else are you missing? What you really need to do is to step away from such a situation. No longer support that ministry. No longer attend that ministry. No longer watch that televangelist. Don't continue in that person's rebellion. False teachers are anti-elders. The elders of God's church are to love the truth. They're to exhort the church to follow the truth and to live a life of godliness. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. These people are, are elders, they're, they're anti-elders. They're, they're false teachers, and they look like true elders. They seem really religious and pious. What a wonderful person to come out on the Long Meadow Fall Festival lawn and to stay all day as that person who came over to our booth yesterday. There's a certain piety in it, isn't there? But it's a self-righteousness. It's not, if it's not done for Christ, who is it done for? It's done for self. It's done for Satan. It's done for something altogether different. Someone who has an alternative claim on their life. If it's not Christ, then there is only one other individual to whom they could ever possibly belong. False teachers may look like true elders. They may speak with authority, born of education, charm people with their winsomeness, and make a less truthful, less less ethically rigorous brand of Christianity sound really good, it sounds so appealing. You know, it's those kinds of people who will say, you know, all I really want to do is follow Jesus. I want to follow Jesus and, and the moral commandments of God's word really aren't don't have any relevance here. I'm just going to follow Jesus in my spirit. It's me and Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said, they'll know you by the fruit of your life. The authenticity of your profession of faith will be displayed in a life lived in the fear of God, with a love of the word of God and with a desire to obey and delight oneself in the things of God and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many voices within the Christian church who say you can follow Jesus and 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 he'll take you and accept you just as you are. And so you can continue to live with your girlfriend in your in your house. And, and you can continue to neglect the, the, the obligations that a man has to a woman or a woman to a man. Or you can continue to live the way that you would like and not have any care whatsoever for your children or your wife you can continue to 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 live the way you want God would never want you to remain in a relationship that it takes hard work well there are many ways in which the world and false teachers twist the truth these people are not truthful they they might sound appealing at times well who wouldn't want to believe in a gospel that says you can live in whatever way you wish to live And Christ is going to love you anyway. There's always a piece of truth to every false teacher, isn't there? Yes, Christ loves you no matter what state of heart, soul you, uh, no matter what state you are in today, as long as you are in Christ Jesus. You, You may be, your life may be full of sin you may you may be as black with sin as, as, as Paul in Romans 7 says that he is. The good that I would do, I don't do. The evil that I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. You see, Christ died for wretched men and women. And yes, Christ takes you as you are. But you must believe in Him. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. You must forsake your own righteousness. You must forsake your sin. Hate your sin. Repent of your sin. Acknowledge your sin to Christ. Uh, Beg his forgiveness. Express your sorrow over it. And then depending utterly upon his grace to do it, to abstain, to flee from sin, to follow Jesus. False teachers really don't like holiness, do they? I, I find that I think to be true. They hate holiness. They hate a life of principled obedience. What that's what Paul calls it, a life of principled obedience. They twist the truth. They lead people away from the truth, and they want to lighten the burden of of the obligation of obedience to God. But they're 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 anti elders, and and they're creating an anti church, and it bears not the name of God, but of social proclivities and of social interests and social causes and, and licentiousness and wickedness. It doesn't bear the name of Christ. Well, there's a targeted audience. Secondly, there's a targeted audience for these false teachers. Peter, Peter, Peter identifies them. Who are they? Well, they're, they're naive. You know, you know what naivety is? It's when you can get someone to believe something that you say even though they should know better. Every once in a while, I like to tease my wife or one of my daughters or my sons, and I'll say something, and it's not true, and they'll say, really? There's a certain naivete about a specific thing, and and it's fun, and sometimes they'll do it to me. Someone said something to me recently, last week, and I said, no way, and I should have known. That's naivete. To be naive is simply to not really know everything about a specific subject. So, so here's a young Christian. A young Christian who's, who's given their life over to Jesus Christ. And they really don't know everything yet. They haven't read their way all the way through the scriptures. And they haven't committed everything to memory. And they haven't read every systematic theology out there. They don't ever know every theological fact. Their biblical theology is not as well formed as it might be yet or, or will be in five years. Or 10? They're young in the faith. And here comes someone who says, I'm an eminent Christian. I believe in the Bible. I just don't believe it's literal. Let me tell you what God requires of you. And people love to do that, don't they? People love to direct the lives of other Christians or or of genuine Christians. People love to tell Christians... This is what you need to do. But God's way, God's word makes it clear to us. The targeted audience of these teachers are the naive, the uninformed, the ignorant, which is not a bad word. It just means I don't know. The unsteady, those who have just their brand new babes in Christ or they've they've believed the seed has been sown and it. We haven't yet quite figured out whether or not it was on stony ground or good ground or amongst the thorns or whether the birds have snatched up that seed. But the seed has been sown and there seems to be a genuine profession of faith. That's who false teachers are after. Peter uses language, they barely escape from those who live in error. In other words, it seems like they've just believed the gospel and they still feel the pull of the old man, the corruption of the world, and they feel themselves just barely able to abstain from sin. Maybe you feel like that. I, I often do. That's the targeted audience. And maybe we feel a little weird about using the term false teachers and misinforming false teachers and heretics. Well, maybe we think, well, it, it's making me a, into a, a sort of religious zealot, but. False teachers are not just a first-century phenomenon. They are a phenomenon in every age of the church. They're all over the television. They're all over the radio. They're in your churches. There have been some who have come even into our own congregation. And they have either been rebuked or the truth was taught and it became ultimately unbearable for them. They will come, they have not died out, and they will secretly steal into our churches. And that's what Peter is saying. Their God is not God, it is their sensuality. And their targeted audience is you. You and me. Thirdly, the text answers for us, how do false teachers live? How do false teachers live? Well, their lifestyles. They're, Peter uses words here, they're shameless. They live falsely. They, they're depraved in their le- living. In other words, anything that you and I would say, well, as a Christian, I, I probably ought not to do that. They would say as false teachers, you can do whatever you want. Years ago, I was in a college class and there was a boy, uh, he's not a false teacher, he's just a young man who's ignorant and naive and maybe he'd been listening to other people who were false teachers, but he was of the opinion he could go watch filthy movies and the Holy Spirit would keep him from lust. I'm sorry, but that's foolish. Isn't Didn't Solomon say in Proverbs that if, if, if you take sin into your bosom, it's going to burn you? If you bring it close and hold it dear, it's going to burn you. It will have an impact in your life. And so if you're embracing sin, it, it's going to burn away. I think it's true that the Holy Spirit keeps us even when we are tempted. Yes, it's true. But should we go and invite sin? Should we seek out sin? The Apostle Paul asked this very question. Shall we sin that grace may abound? By no means, he says. Well, that's what they do. They, they live falsely they embrace depraved living they have corrupt desires in their flesh they despise authority they don't believe in in religious authorities in the church they don't want to listen to elders and de- and, and, and leaders pastors they don't listen to any of it and, and they love pagan love feasts uh, feasts of deception feasts of where you you indulge <laughs> you drink you eat you you have a great time and You don't in any way consider God in the midst of it all. They 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 embrace adultery. They they are people who, who who love money. They are greedy. They are enticers. It's not they're not just content to say, I am enticed by my own sins. They're going to say, I want to entice this person to sin in the same way that I am, so that I feel better about my own sins, and so they're enticing others, and that's what Peter says they are. Do you see what is so enticing about what they have embraced? There is something enticing about the world, is there not? There's something enticing about what we are tempted by as human beings, whether that's physical gratification by overeating, or, or sexual gratify, gratification by indulging in sexual habits and behaviors that are contrary to the word of God. And tr- across the entire sexual spectrum. They entice people. And there are certain enticements about sin. Sin suggests satisfaction. Sin says in its its great lie, we will satisfy you. Your soul will be satisfied if you embrace this sin. That's That's what Satan told Eve in the garden, didn't he? Oh no, God didn't tell you the truth. If you partake, you will be like Him. If you partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. And that's that's what false teachers tell us. You don't need to embrace a lifelong lifelong commitment to godliness and holiness and Christ-likeness of conscious, careful obedience to God. You don't need to embrace that. You'll be like God, sovereign, if you simply live the way you wish to live. And God will accept you as you are. They excuse and they revel in licentious things. And they say something even horribly apostate. They say, God approves of your lifestyle. That was the very question that woman asked us yesterday at the Longmeadow Fall Festival. Do you approve of a particular lifestyle of sin? And I said, well, no. No. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, because God calls it wicked. Amen. What else can we say? Well, these people, these false teachers, they drink uh, and, and they drink to excess. They listen to and they, they watch horrible things. They take in things with their eyes they know they should not see. They excuse sexual promiscuity uh, and they, they excuse all manner of love, of money. As Balaam did, you remember Balaam of Beor, the son of Beor? He was a man who, for whatever reason, he seemed to have some ability to curse or bless. And so he would bless or curse people. And so Balak hears that, and he's concerned, the Midianites and the Moabites, and they're concerned that Israel's is going to come and get them next. They've been destroying all their enemies under the power of God. And so he calls for Balaam and says, let's give Balaam all kinds of money to come and curse this people. And Balaam comes, and God arrests him in a dream, and speaks to him, and and then tells him ultimately because he, he's he's going up to curse the people of Israel on this high mountain, so he can take them in with all of his vision and proclaim some curses against them. And he's going up the mountain on his donkey, and and. And the angel of the Lord stands before him and he prevents him from moving. He turns to the side. And again, the angel of the Lord prevents him from moving. He turns to the other side. The angel of the Lord prevents him from moving. Finally, he beats his donkey and the donkey, being given power from God, speaks to him and says, When have I ever misled you? Why are you beating me? And then Balaam's eyes were opened to see the angel of the Lord who spoke to him and said, you do not curse that people. You bless them. You speak the words, only the words which I say. And he goes up on that mountain and Balak is there and he's prepared. He's, he's, he's excited. We're going to curse this people. We're delivered. And Balaam opens his mouth. He waits for the curse. And it's nothing but blessing. He says, "Go up and curse again, and create. An, we'll, we'll build some more, art, uh, more altars, and we'll put out some more sacrifices. We'll do it again in another place." And they do it. Okay, curse them. This is going to be dastardly and wonderful. And and, and Balaam utters more 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 blessings come out of his mouth. Balak is furious, and Balaam says, "I couldn't do anything but what God commanded me to do." But in Numbers 22, that occurred, and it goes to 24 and then 25, and then later on in Numbers chapter 31, we hear that Balaam approved and taught the people of God how to sin with Baal of Peor, a false god. So Balaam tried to curse the people of God, and the angel of the Lord prevented him. So working with Balak in order to undermine the people of God, Let's let's make sure we understand his goal here. To undermine the people of God. Let's curse them. You can't. Okay, I bless them. Now I'm going to do things my way. And what he did was he taught them how to worship Baal of Peor. And the people were caught in this. Some 15,000 people were caught in this false religion. They went astray from God. In fact, there was a young man, he with his... Midianite love, they went into a tent right in front of Moses and Phinehas, having the zeal of the Lord, pinned them to the ground with a spear as as a manifestation of the justice of God. Well, that's what false teachers do. If they can't get you front on and curse you, And they're going to come at you in a different way and get you to be obscured in your thinking and corrupt your way of worshiping God so that in the end, you wake up one day and you realize, I'm not worshiping God anymore. God is distant from me and I've left the Lord. I've left my first love. Or maybe you never wake up. Maybe you never realize it. Balaam loved money. You don't need to look very far online to look who's making money. Richest pastor who holds himself out to be a pastor that I know is Kenneth Copeland. He's worth $760 million. He loves to tell people he's a billionaire. How can a man of God, humbled before the cross of Jesus Christ, convinced that without Christ I am nothing, How can he brag and say, I am a billionaire by the grace of God? There is nothing about riches that will in any way endear you to God. They are not an indication of God's mercy or of his love for you. You may go through life penniless. It does not mean that God does not love you. Nowhere in scripture did God promise to enrich you if you follow Jesus at least monetarily, but he has promised to enrich you in eternally significant things, in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, in fellowship with God, in in a place that is preserved for us, in the household of God, in which we will dwell for all eternity with our Jesus. Kenneth Copeland has reduced the promises of God to mere money. Think about eternity, dear friend. What is eternity worth to you? What does eternal life with God in Christ through the Holy Spirit mean to you? What is it worth? Would you give all your soul, would you give all of yourself for the love of gold and of riches to such a degree that you forsake Jesus Christ You'll gain 40, 50, 60 years on this earth, living it up, living like hell, living the licentious life, embracing all manner of pleasures and reaping what you sow in your body. But one day you'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on the precipice of eternity. And Christ will say to you, depart from me, you wicked servant, for I never knew you. And they will say, I did great things in your name, Jesus said. Do you remember that? Jesus says there will be many on that last day who will say, I cast out demons in your name. I I gave all manner of things for you in in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you wicked servant. I never knew you. In other words, they did all sorts of things in the name of Jesus. But they didn't do them for Jesus. They didn't glorify the Lord Jesus. Their motivation was not Jesus and Jesus, him raised and glorified in heaven. Their goal was me, promote myself. I read something last night. It was just so deeply self-promoting from a fellow pastor. And He's talking about something and he listed all of his accomplishments. It ruined everything else that he wanted to say. Why list all of your accomplishments that make you what you are? And you're writing to other men who have the same credentials as you do. Why do that? It, it, it completely undermines your testimony. Whatever you want to say. If you're bragging about yourself, doesn't it really undermine the message you want to get across? If you have to brag, what's that say about you? Well, there are many, many pastors worth a tremendous amount of money. Stephen Furtick has been in the news. He's got a $2 million house. They all want to know how it's paid for. Well, they say, well, our pastor can't live in a small house. He needs to live in a big house. So they have to give him a $1.5 million housing allowance. It's only fair, right? No, that's ridiculous. T.D. Jakes is worth 150 million. Winner's Chapel founder, David Oyedepo, a Nigerian pastor, he's worth 150 million. Are you kidding me? Nigerian people are starving. That pastor should take his money and give it all away. The rich young ruler who came to Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? As he says, tell me how, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, sell all you have, And come and follow me. And any observed pastor on television or in pulpits or anywhere in the land that loves money so much, it is a display of the fact that no matter what they say with their mouths, their lives say, I will not follow Jesus Christ. I will not forsake this world. I will not embrace a life of sacrifice and of living for jesus rather than ill-gotten gain so many other pastors pat robinson's worth 100 million dollars benny ann worth 42 million i'm sorry but i could go on i really don't want to belabor it too much i know it's we know about many of these folks but if a pastor is a multimillionaire, there's something wrong dear friends if there's someone who who is a spiritual authority for you and they dried and private jets, there's something wrong. If they live in a home that most of the parishioners in their church cannot afford, there's something wrong. They love their money more than they love Jesus. They're teaching because they have embraced a life of greed, of promiscuity of indulgence self-indulgence they despise authority they love depraved living they have embraced corrupt desires they are lost they're lost fifthly there is a destiny of false teachers it isn't as though god was powerless here that he can't do anything god's not napping uh the the truth is that they think themselves escaping from the defilements of the world they think themselves escaping from the judgment of god and they think that there's time lots and lots of time we'll even we'll learn in the next chapter in chapter 3 that 1000 years is like a day with the lord the lord is not delaying the lord is not lacking in justice simply because he delays justice to fit in a court in in with his his timeline his will these people, it would have been better if they didn't become someone who learned the gospel. They didn't become Christians, but they heard about the gospel and they said, well, yes, I believe that. It would have been better for that woman yesterday who came to our table that she didn't know anything about Jesus. If she didn't, she'd never heard the claims of the Bible, because then we could have spoken to her and said, let me tell you what, about what the Bible teaches. Let me tell you about the words of Jesus Christ, what Christ preaches in his word. Because she, what, what, what her problem is, is she thinks she has the knowledge of God, but it's corrupted by her sin. And, and her, she's, she's, she herself has been clouded in mist so that she cannot see the word nor hear the voice of Christ. And so she has embraced untruth and now she's doing it to others. And so when you speak about the Bible, it doesn't mean anything to her. Well, I I believe the Bible too, she said. God is not powerless. There is destruction. Peter says they're, they're going to be destroyed. Their lifestyle will implode. They send people to hell and they themselves are destined for hell. Hebrews 6 talks about those who trample the Son of God underfoot, who seemed at first to have believed. We once had a beloved elder whom we all loved. I had a dream about him two nights ago. I still love that man in the Lord. But make no mistake, he left the Lord. And he has extraordinary theological capabilities. Well-read, very smart man. But his lifestyle demonstrated that he didn't know Jesus. The Jesus about whom his theology was well formed. But he forsook his wife. And he was guilty of deep, deep adultery for many, many years. My heart's cry is that he would turn in faith to Jesus Christ and believe and forsake his sin and repent of all of it and be saved. But in my conversations with him, he would not do that. Their lifestyle will implode. They are animals, according to Peter. They are animals, and they remain what they are. And and even though you give an animal a bath, it doesn't change what they are. A sow will return to its pigsty, and a dog will return to the mud puddle or fall in, or, or look for the stinkiest part of your grass where some other dog has, has has done its business, and they will roll in that, and then you'll take that dog inside. And and you can wash them 15 times. It's not going to change who they are. A dog is a dog, and a, and a sow is a sow, and false teachers, even though they've been shown the truth or at least in a rudimentary way or aware of it factually. You can keep bringing them to it, but they're going to continue to go back to their old way. They're lost. This is their destiny, according to verse 17. The arrogance and the godliness, the godlessness of these false prophets combined with the uselessness of their teaching has rendered them fit for the judgment of God on the last day. So I want to make a few brief points of of Last application to you and to me in this relevant uh, in our in our content in our days and, and I'll make them quick. I know the time is running low. There are two groups in the world. There are two groups. One group worships the Lord. The other worships the body. One has a veneer of spirituality or religion but they're in the dark about Jesus Christ. They know about him. They even suggest that they belong to him and believe in him, but they don't obey him, and they really don't believe in the things that they say. They have never been born again. They haven't been justified by grace through faith. The other group struggles with sin daily, sometimes even with assurance of their standing in Christ, but they know the one in whom they have believed, and they are persuaded that he is able to keep them against that day of judgment. One group is destined for destruction The other awaits the rescue of the Lord. Are you waiting for the Lord? One embraces arrogance and sensuality and greed. The others haven't forgotten that they've they 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 have not forgotten they've been cleansed from their former sins that they've escaped the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire and are making every effort by the grace of God by supplementing their faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection and love, as Peter says in chapter 1. One group is loyal to Jesus and the other shows no loyalty whatsoever to him. He is to them a means to their own self-indulgence and self-enrichment. Make sure you're in the right group. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Make sure today that you don't go another day without knowing that you are in union with Jesus Christ. Make sure you don't go another day without making certain that you have expressed faith to God in His Son. You're not saved unless you have. There is no salvation without faith, there is no salvation without repentance. Faith and repentance hand in hand. Two sisters which lead on the way to God. Faith and repentance. So shepherds, elders, pastors, trustees, bishops, priests, whoever you may be, every shepherd of Christ's flock must not live a life of sensuality, arrogance, or greed. They must not teach their own studied opinions, but rather they have to teach the whole counsel of God. They need to set a good example like Second Peter chapter 1 calls every Christian to do and to be. God forbid that there should be anyone who lives a life contrary to the word of God. Go back to chapter 1. Affirm the things of the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. A sobering thought. The patterns of your life reveal who you are. The patterns of your life reveal who you are. Who are you? Where is your faith placed? The nature of your soul is revealed in the things in which you indulge, in the behaviors that you exhibit, the patterns of your life, the priorities, the work, recreation, attitudes in your mind and heart. Who or what has your loyalty? Who sits on the throne of your life? Who are you living for? What are you living for? The pattern of your life reveals who you are. Has there been a happy, hope-filled change in your life? In years past, when you came in faith to Jesus and all things were made new, and the old passed away and you walked in newness of life, would you be restored in that newness of life? Look to Jesus day by day. Be loyal to Jesus. Forsake your sin. Follow him. It's also lastly important to seek discipleship from from principled persons who know the things of God. Don't go to a church where there's untruth preached. Go to a church where you're going to find a pastor or or an elder or a mature Christian brother in the Lord or sister in the Lord who's willing to take you under their wing and teach you the things of the Lord. Whose lives are worthy of being followed. Whose conduct is is reflective of Jesus. Whose lives are not filled with greed or sensuality, who are not living for money, but are living for Jesus. Let's pray. Our great God in heaven, our merciful, gracious Savior, we pray that you would help us to follow you all the days of our lives. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins, forgive us for where we have. Embraced untruth at various times, but lead us in all truth, Holy Spirit of God. Jesus, we thank you that you are pledged to our protection, to the preservation of our soul. Keep us from stumbling in error in this world, in embracing sin, in embracing sensuality and license of ourselves and the forsaking of the true word that we know. Lord, I lift up that woman that came to our booth yesterday and I pray that something, some spark by the Holy Spirit of God would be awoken in her heart, that she would listen to a false message from her own pulpit this morning and she would recognize in the moment as the scales are lifted from her eyes that she is lost and without hope in this world. We pray that you would lead her to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ along with her pastor and the rest of her church. We pray, Lord, that they would take the the word of God home and read it, that they would ask existential questions. Why don't I believe the Bible? Why isn't this literal? Does the Bible say it's not literal? And if it doesn't say it's not, if the, if the Bible doesn't say, if the Bible holds out these truths to be true and completely literal, then shouldn't I believe them? Oh, Lord, we pray for revival in our land, especially that that would begin in churches. We ask this, your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name, number 374. to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus with incorruptible love. Amen and amen.